Episode 3 All Creatures, Great and Small Genesis 1, verses 20 to 25 Verse 20 to 23 Then God said, Let the water be filled with living things, and let birds fly in the air above the earth. So God created the large sea animals. He created every living thing that moves in the sea. The sea is filled with these living things. Each one produces more of its own kind. God also made every bird that flies, and each bird produces more of its own kind. God saw that this was good. God blessed them and said, Have many young ones and grow in number. Fill the waters of the seas and let the birds grow in number on the earth. Evening passed and morning came. This was the fifth day. In a little less than two days, the fifth and part of the sixth days of creation, which were Thursday and Friday of the first week, God created every type of animal that exists. On Thursday, he created the birds and other winged creatures and all of the life in the sea. And then on Friday, before creating man, he created all of the land animals that we've come to know and love as pets, as natural curiosities, and as delicious dinners. Just as with the rest of creation, these creatures were prepared by God for man's expected arrival. Have you ever wondered about the question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? You have the answer in these verses. God created the birds in a dazzling variety of types and kinds, including the chicken. When the first rooster sidled up to the first hen, a little while later there was mother sitting on the first eggs. Verse 24 and 25 Then God said, Let the earth be filled with animals, and let each produce more of its own kind. Let there be tame animals, and small crawling animals, and wild animals, and let each produce more of its kind. And it happened. So God made the wild animals, the tame animals, and all the small crawling animals to produce more of their own kind. God saw that this was good. There were no restrictions on the people of the world about what they could eat all the way up until the time of Moses and the law. At that time, God set aside a special group of people for his own special purposes. The restrictions levied upon them were upon them alone, and all the other people of the world were allowed to continue with Saturday morning bacon breakfast. When Christ came, he fulfilled the law on our behalf, and the law is set aside in Christ. This is stated explicitly three times in the book of Hebrews, and it is alluded to numerous times in the New Testament. The law is in no way binding on the Christian, in any way, shape, or form. We obtain our doctrine for life and conduct from the New Testament. To add to, subtract from, or misrepresent the New Testament for the believer is sin. Paul explains in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1-5, through 5, the goodness of the foods God has placed in the world, and the deception which is pushed upon the unsuspecting. The Holy Spirit clearly says that in the later times, some people will stop believing the true faith. They will obey spirits that lie and will follow the teachings of demons. 
Such teachings come from hypocrites, men who cannot see what is right and what is wrong. It is as if their understanding were destroyed by a hot iron. They tell people that it is wrong to marry, and they tell people that there are some foods that they must not eat. But God made those foods, and the people who believe and who know the truth can eat those foods with thanks. Everything that God made is good. Nothing that God made should be refused. If it is accepted with thanks, everything God made is holy by what God has said and by prayer. Our freedom to eat anything, if it is gratefully received, does not absolve us from our responsibility to help look after God's valuable creation. We must not abuse it or waste what is so precious. God has presented us with such dazzling life on this planet and every type fills a specific role. If God has taken such tender care and detail to the life he's created, we then should be equally careful to preserve it for the generations to come. When we carefully consider them, every animal, every bird, every sea creature that God created is a marvel of imagination and a delight to our minds. The crimson worm, for example, is a worm that looks more like a grub than a worm. When it is time for the crimson worm to have babies, which she does only one time in her life, she finds the trunk of a tree, a wooden fence post or a stick. She then attaches her body to that wood and makes a hard crimson shell. She's so strongly and permanently stuck to the wood that the shell can never be removed without tearing her body completely apart and killing her. The crimson worm then lays her eggs under her body and the protective shell. When the baby worms hatch, they stay under the shell. Not only does the mother's body give protection for her babies, but it also provides them with food. The babies feed on the living body of the mother. After just a few days, when the young worms grow to the point that they are able to take care of themselves, the mother dies. As the mother crimson worm dies, she oozes a crimson or scarlet red dye, which not only stains the wood she is attached to, but also her young children. They are coloured scarlet red for the rest of their lives. After three days, the dead mother crimson worm's body loses its crimson colour and turns into a white wax which falls to the ground like snow. So what did Jesus mean by saying, I am like a worm in Psalm 22? Isn't it very interesting that just like the crimson worm, Jesus sacrificed or gave up his life on a tree so that his children might be washed with his crimson blood and their sins cleaned white as snow. Isaiah 1 verse 18 The Lord says, Come, we will talk these things over. Your sins are red like deep red cloth, but they can be as white as snow. Your sins are bright red, but you can be white like wool. Jesus died for us, 
that we might live through him, simply by receiving the goodness of his life through faith alone, by grace alone. Hallelujah and Amen.